0: Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 74th episode, and I am here after the Qatar Grand Prix. Well, first of all, happy Thanksgiving to all my Canadian listeners. And that's exactly why I'm coming at you guys a little bit late for that reason. Just a ton of Thanksgiving celebrations with family and, uh, Some work issues that I had to sort out. So, better late than never, though. I'm here now, and what a Formula One weekend we just had. But before we get to that, first, a quick reminder to check out the link tree in the description. It has links to the pages that you can find this podcast. On all platforms, my YouTube channel, Breakbys, Twitter, and TikTok. It has my email address if you'd like to contact me, as well as my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Now, let's talk about the tons of action at the LaSalle International Circuit. Honestly, so much happened in Qatar that I want to talk about, so it's hard to even come up with where to start. But I think it's got to be the fact that... That a new driver's champion has been crowned. Max Verstappen is now a three time world champion. If you watch this weekend, you know, they listed all the names but people like PK, people like Stewart and and uh, Lauda, it, 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 Brabham, the list goes on, right? And it's uh, an incredible list, as Max said himself. Um, but I will say this you know, it, it's weird how. Max Verstappen now has won more championships than Fernando Alonso yet. It still feels like to me that Alonso and Hamilton are the living legends on the grid. Max doesn't feel that way to me and I feel like it's got to be because he's just achieved so much still at such a young age and he's got so many more wins and honestly probably championships ahead of him that he's just nowhere out of, like nowhere near out of his prime. So it doesn't feel like he's uh this living legend on the grid because his his story is so far from being finished. Um, It it was just an incredible year for him and Red Bull. It'll probably continue to be that way until Abu Dhabi. Hopefully next year, uh, for Formula One fans' sake, we get a bit of a tighter championship. Even if it is Max winning in the end, I think people would be very, very happy to just see him challenged and to see another team in the mix like in any given race. So... Yeah, but that's uh that's props to Red Bull, right? It's not their fault that they just kind of made this season a bit of a joke. Um, what can you say? I mean, they are the best at everything. They're the team to beat. I know McLaren just got the world record pit stop, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but Red Bull's still the team to beat in the pits. They're they're, they're the team to beat strategy wise. They have the best driver. They have Adrian Newey designing this amazing car. Um, of course it's a it's a whole team and, and Adrian would never take the credit um, but he is probably f1's you know um, top genius of all time. like let's be real it's it's pretty it's incredible. I mean, I've said on the podcast the last four times I, s- I swear when we uh, uh, talk about Red Bull, it's just like what else can you say at this point? I spent the entire first half of the season talking about how great Max is and how great Red Bull is. And we're, you know, what, how many rounds are we in now? I don't even know. Like round 15, round 16, maybe even later. Um, and we're still, you know, talking about how great Red Bull is. You just kind of run out of things to say. They're just that brilliant. And, yeah, like I said, they're the team to beat at everything. Except for possibly uh, their second driver. Because Checo still is struggling. Had a bit of a rough weekend. And I think this basically sums it up. So, Checo was, of course... Way off the pace again here. Only picked up one point the entire weekend. Yep, he picked up one point. Um, and track limits was a pretty big issue in uh, in this uh, weekend. Um, I'll get to that in a little bit later. But Max in the Grand Prix had zero track limit violations. He was the only only driver on the entire grid who never got noted once for exceeding track limits. Checo had two, three penalties, I think two, but there you have it. Checo is not only slower, he is just in less control of his car. It's it's night and day between the two right now, and uh, that is why every single race weekend, uh, Christian Horner, Helmut Marko, someone within the team has to answer questions about why this is happening to Checo, how there's such a big difference between their drivers. And honestly, I think Red Bull knows that Checo has more in him But I also think on the flip side, they know that Max Verstappen is just special and no one is ever going to be on his pace in that Red Bull car that they refuse to admit they designed around him at the same time. Anyway, let's move on to McLaren. I I don't really have that much to say about Red Bull because everything has already been said a million times by other people as well. Um, But McLaren had a pretty spectacular weekend here as well, qualifying on Friday was a bit painful, I would say, because the pace was there for a really great result. But the drivers just were struggling with track limits. Um, It would have been Lando second on the road and Oscar fourth, I believe. And it ended up being a P6 for Oscar and a P10 for Lando because he didn't even have a banker because of track limits. So Q3, just a nightmare for Lando Norris. And it did create this kind of funny post-session moment that I feel like... Everyone has probably forgotten already because it was just so early in the weekend and so much happened afterwards. But everyone thought, you know, Lando was on the front row. And by everyone, I mean people watching at home kind of knew the story, but people at the track, like Naomi Schiff, was doing the uh, post session interviews and some of the drivers weren't aware of uh, who's been penalized and whatnot. So George was asking Oscar, he sees Oscar's like, What are you doing here? Where's Lando? And Oscar's like, Well, I switched, they switched me out for the other one or whatever. And then mid interview with Naomi uh, Oscar found out as well that he was dropped out of the top three and he's like well this is awkward Um, but yeah that promoted Lewis Hamilton and George Russell to P2 and P3 which is a pretty big surprise I didn't think uh, Mercedes would be super on the pace this weekend but they were Um, but we're talking about McLaren right now and boy did they get some redemption on Saturday because Oscar takes sprint pull great job from him and Lando again could have got it done but he had a problem into the last corner he would have been on sprint pole and then Oscar goes on to win the sprint which is just insane because that could have been Lando Norris so even though it's a sprint and does not count as a Grand Prix win Oscar Piastri has still won in won any F1 event before Lando Norris has and that is just insane. I feel like Lando has a bit of a curse right now with, with getting a P1 finish, but uh, I think you still have to look at the bright side. You can't worry about that. Um, McLaren has a incredible uh, bright future in, in Formula 1 right now with their drivers and with the way their team is trending. Focusing just on 2023, they're, they're going to pass Aston Martin. It's a foregone conclusion at this point. Um, Aston is, it's very, very clear that they have just like, it's, it's been confirmed over the past few races. Aston is not where they used to be. I think Zanvoort was kind of a lucky blip for them now. Um, clearly they're just not on the performance of the other uh, top four teams, which is McLaren, Ferrari, Mercedes, and of course, Red Bull. So with Aston completely out of it, and let's be honest, only fighting with one driver, they have no chance going up against McLaren and yes. That is even if McLaren doesn't score a podium for the rest of the year, which is unlikely. If McLaren describes P5s and P6s for the rest of the year, they're going to pass Aston Martin. I think the question now for 2023 is if McLaren can catch Ferrari, possibly even Mercedes. I, I really think that P2 is a long shot, but it's actually a possibility with the races we still have coming up, I think Cota is going to be strong for McLaren. I think Mexico is going to be strong for McLaren, albeit it'll also be two strong tracks for Mercedes. And um, I'm forgetting one, but then it just, is there, was there only four? No, Brazil. Brazil will be strong for uh, McLaren as well. And the fact that there's two more sprint races still coming up means that they have even more opportunities to get more points. And they are a strong qualifying team as opposed to Mercedes, which I would say qualifying is probably their weakness. Um, So they can gain points on them there. It's probably not going to happen, but I think it is just obvious that Aston Martin is no longer even in a fight with, with McLaren. Aston Martin just needs to focus on themselves and get ready for next year. That fight's over. Aston is going to finish P5 in the championship, which is crazy because it really looked like P2 was in the cards. That would have been such an incredible finish for them. And to finish fifth in the standings is probably going to leave a bit of a sour taste in their mouth. Um, But hopefully that motivates because I I would love to see Alonso and that team up there again at the sharp end next season. Um, So in terms of McLaren beyond 2023... It's hard to say that uh, they aren't the team that's going to catch Red Bull. Mika Hackening called it. I mean, the way Oscar's performing as a rookie, and then you have Lando Norris, who we all know is a special talent. Um, They are the ones who went to the Red Bull concept first. They have the most understanding. They have a new wind tunnel that's just came online. They have some really, really smart people joining the fold for next year. If they can get the 2026 regs right too they're they're on an an incredible trajectory back to, you know, the top of formula 1. I would say Ferrari obviously has their questions surrounding that team. Mercedes has just been kind of strange as well. I wouldn't be surprised though if Mercedes came out next year as the second quickest team or or potentially at least was the second quickest team on over the balance of the season, I guess. Maybe McLaren has a bit of a head start, but I still think that unless Mercedes proves that they're back next year, it's McLaren. It is one hundred percent McLaren. And uh yeah, they have an incredible driver lineup and I do think at one point it could come up for them as well, whether, you know, that driver lineup is gonna cause issues down the road because it was all fun and games with George and Lewis when they're not winning races and they're not challenging for podiums and, and whatnot. It, it's they're just trying to drive the best they can, get as many points for the team, go home, come back next race this weekend and and do the same thing. But when race wins and podiums are on the line and you know a hierarchy at the team is at stake, then it's a different story. But anyway, that's that's all I got to say about McLaren. Another great weekend for them, of course. P2 and P3 in the Grand Prix I didn't even mention, but as you've known, uh if you're a long-time listener of of this podcast, I have completely switched how I do my race reviews. So I trust that anyone listening to this podcast watched the race. Um, and of course, I go over it in my race results anyway, if you didn't. Um, so yeah, incredible, incredible stuff from McLaren, um, of course. So now, before we uh, you know get into some of the other stuff with the other teams, I think we have to address some of the unique conditions the drivers and teams faced this weekend. Um, first of all, as mentioned in the preview, the tire wear worries. Uh, after Saturday's sprint, we had an odd test session before the shootout as well. Pirelli implemented a max stint length of 18 laps for the race. So that doesn't mean that everyone just bolted on whatever tires they wanted and then on lap eight or any time before lap 18 they had to pit. It mattered how many laps your tires did in other sessions. So if you put on a five-lap old soft, then you can only go 13 laps. On it, You know what I mean? So it made it a very challenging one for some people, especially Lewis Hamilton, I think was the worst. He had used the most of his tires and uh, didn't have very many, um, you know, tires to go longer in stints. A lot of them had been used for a couple laps. So that really put him on the back foot. And it just, they didn't know about it. They were going into the race thinking that, oh, I'm going to be able to use this uh, hard tire for a really long time or whatever. And then they come to realize that they can only use that hard for 18 laps, even though it can go way longer than that. So it was, it just completely changed the outlook of the Grand Prix. I really, really didn't like it. I I was surprised to find that some people did enjoy maxed in lengths and were actually asking Formula One to look and see if this was like something that they should have in future races. I do think it made an interesting wrinkle because we're never used to seeing, you know, uh, mandatory pit stops being made basically. Um, And because of that, also, the uh, competitive order was really close. Faster cars had to pit behind slower cars and overtake them. So we did see a ton of moves. Um, the winning margin in the end was was very small, all because of that. But it was just, it felt so artificial. It wasn't real. Um, and at the end of the day, it's tire wear that needs to be back. Tires need to wear out. We don't need to be seeing... Um, um, mandatory pit stops being made because it's just it's just not it's just not the real competitive order it's a bit it's a bit artificial as I said so I I'm not a fan um I think the sprint proved exactly why tire wear is fun because the guys on the softs were so rapid at the start you know Russell that move on Piastri to take the lead was such a cool move that was sick um but then at the end, he completely falls off and he falls back into the clutches of Verstappen, Norris, and Piastri. And, you know, even Lewis Hamilton, just making those moves on the Ferraris, three cars in two laps. It was just, it was awesome to see those softs fall off. And then the guys in the mediums, you know, the the race come back to them. That is what's exciting, not, not fake pit stops. But uh, speaking of the 18 laps, it's not just about, you know, the racing, um, because not only is Qatar a naturally challenging circuit because of its high-speed corners, but it was extremely hot and humid. And then, because those tires could you know, last way longer than the 18 laps they were allowed to race, the drivers had to push like crazy. It was just push lap after push lap. No management was required. And this led to some pretty scary conditions for the drivers. During the race, Ocon said that he vomited in his helmet on lap 15 still finished P7 by the way actually pretty incredible when you think about it Logan Sargent had to retire from the race because of dehydration and heat exhaustion Lance Stroll said he was fainting through the high-speed corners and I imagine when he says that it means he was probably out for like a split second and then because you know he's in an, an adrenaline filled environment he probably like snapped out of it right away but he had like brief moments of just like going out and then coming back which is still incredibly scary. I've heard that Alex Albon had a rough time getting out of his Williams after. I, I didn't see any confirmation of this, but I've heard that he may have fainted as well. Just just some things that I've read on Twitter, to be honest. But I know for a fact that uh, many drivers took themselves to the medical center after the race. Um, you know, Gasly and Checo said their vision was blurry throughout the race. Um You know, you could see many drivers doing strange things on their onboards to get air into the cockpit. Like uh, George Russell, I think Charles Leclerc were like taking their hands off the wheel to try to like blow air. I don't know how that was going to happen. But yeah, crazy stuff. Um, I think Stroll was probably the most colorful in his comments about track limits too. Like, And when you take in what the drivers are going through and then to just on top of it say like, oh, you have to really you know, strictly keep it in between the white lines and certain parts of the track. He did say it was a joke. And to be honest, yes, it's the rules, but he, he does kind of have a point. Like <laughs> they, they have blurry vision in a, an incredibly high speed corner. Um, it's a night race. The, the, they can't feel the curb. It's just painted. So it was almost impossible. But then again, some drivers were doing it. It was the same for everybody. So, yeah, thankfully in Qatar next year, it's a mid to late November race next year, not a early October. Hopefully that'll help uh, the drivers out a lot because that was scary. And uh, I think F1 really needs to look into not only the tires, but just how we can get some more cooling for these drivers or something. Because, yeah, that was that was on the borderline, which is uh, something a lot of drivers said this weekend. Now, let's move on to Mercedes because we still haven't even got to one of the biggest talking points of the weekend. And, of course, on Sunday, George Russell starting second on the medium tire on the dirty side of the grid. Lewis Hamilton starting P3 behind Max Verstappen on the clean side of the grid on soft tires. They come together. Lewis Hamilton out of the race. George Russell needs to pit and comes out in last place. That was extremely frustrating for me as a Mercedes fan. Um, You know, I, I will say this. It was Lewis's fault. However, I think pretty much everyone knew this, and the sprint proved it as well. There really wasn't much grip out of the blocks for the drivers to use. So starting on the left side of the grid, you know, P1, P3, and all the other odd numbers started, was a huge advantage and so was starting on the softs because that's where George started on the sprint and he had an incredible start even on the dirty side. So imagine that on the soft and that's exactly what happened. Lewis had an incredible getaway and was alongside George and Max going into turn one. Now going in three abreast may have been a bit of a, an overeager decision. And that's why I think Lewis has, uh, has, a. Uh, you know, took that he took that aggressive approach into the corner because, um, but but also, so I know I'm kind of rambling here, but the fact that he was the most screwed over by the max stint length as well, he needed to get a good getaway, and it's just it's oh man, I, I I'm I'm it's it's hard for me to talk about it because I know Lewis Lewis should have done a better job going into turn one. He he really should have. He should have you know, either just backed out and lived to fight another day. I know he really, really would have wanted to take the lead there, and I'm sure Mercedes talked about that scenario. Um, And just because of how, you know, badly he was set up for the race, getting out into the lead with the soft tire would have been absolutely the best-case scenario for Mercedes. Um, But at the same time, I just really think that George also should have known that Lewis was going to be alongside him. The fact that he said that he wasn't even looking behind him, that was the quote that just blew me away. I was like, how can you possibly say you're working as a team and you definitely know that Lewis is going to be rapid out of the blocks on the clean side of the grid on soft tires. He's been a great starter this year as well. You have to know that Lewis was going to be quick. Why were you not looking behind you? Because you just thought, oh, we're working as a team. Lewis wouldn't do that to me. I don't know. I think the best case scenario for the team, I think George still could have finished ahead because of the tires he had at his disposal. Lewis needed to get ahead there, and he needed to be attacking Max Verstappen at the start because it would just slow Max down. That would have been great for George's race. So that's why I don't understand why George couldn't just tuck in behind Max, let Lewis go at it, and then George easily could have got the the, re- the lead back in the race because Lewis would have been severely compromised by those softs because he would have had to pit the earliest out of anyone in the entire race probably. So that's what made me so frustrated because it was so obvious what was best for the team, at least to me, and instead neither one really, really did their job there in my opinion. And it was predominantly Lewis's fault. He admitted it, um, you know, on social media and uh, in the media pen. Um, and he's right. You know, it's just, yeah, incredibly frustrating for Mercedes fans how I think they could have played so much better as a team. Um, and, you know, their pace was incredible in the race. It was just a huge, huge what could have been moment. And uh, that's all I got to say. I, I I admit that, you know, it was my driver that... Uh, <laughs> that made the the big mistake for sure. It was some questionable race craft. He, he needed to leave more room. But at the same time, I think that George also could have had the foresight to see that Lewis was going to be quicker than him. And I know it's hard. These guys are racers. They're not just going to let someone go. But I think that would have been so much better for the team if Lewis got ahead and challenged Max at the start. Because in the end, I think Lewis would have been on the back foot and George probably would have finished ahead anyway. So... Yeah, it is a shame, and uh, I think they both you know, know that they could have really had a double podium instead of McLaren, at least fought with them, possibly even challenged the Red Bull. So I guess that is what you get when you don't work as a team. Now, let's talk about Aston Martin. I don't talk about them too frequently anymore, but I think with what happened with Lance Stroll this weekend, we have to address it. He was uh, not in a good mood at all. He's been a little bit sour with uh, the media recently as well just because of how honestly poor his performance. The questions of, you know, why he's not clicking with the car are probably getting really old. So I do sympathize with him in, in a way. But his actions at this race weekend were just unacceptable. First of all, he has a terrible qualifying. You know, as uh, Alonso ended up Qualifying P4, and this man was 1.1 seconds behind him in Q1 and out in Q1. So then he brings his car back to the garage. First, he throws his steering wheel. Then he gets out, ignores his race engineer, who's probably trying to console him. I don't know what was being said, but he's obviously just trying to talk to him. Stroll's just brushing him off. And then you can see as they're going around a corner, Stroll probably thought he was out of camera's range. And you can just see him shove his race engineer. He shoved him out of out of uh, a frame so we couldn't see like really how heavy the shove was but you could definitely just see arms extend and all of a sudden you know they're they're both around the corner it was it was clear that there was a shove um and you know everyone saw it too at the same time um and we also get this post qualifying interview where a reporter asks him about his visible frustrations and what his emotions are right now and he just says it's shit two words it's shit and then he asks what's not clicking behind the wheel and Stroll replies, you know, very shortly. I don't know. I don't know. Like it was obvious that he was in a pretty pissy mood. And then uh, later on in in, in an interview with someone else, he addressed the shove saying that him and his race engineer are good and called them quote a bro. And uh, they go through the frustrations together and all that. But you know, with this behavior and his performance as of late, Relative for to Fernando, it bears the question: You know, how long is Aston Martin going to allow this to last? Is Lance even gonna want to continue? He's been confirmed for next year, but like, at some point, something's got to give because you can't just continually be underperforming all the time as this team continues to get better, and then you're also probably one of the worst people to work with in terms of with the media. Um, I don't know how he works within the team, but shoving your race engineer is probably not a a great thing to do either. Um, so, you know, I think the opportunities for Lance or for Aston Martin probably are, you know, just dropping Lance for Felipe Drogovic, um, or possibly Lance goes to WEC because Aston Martin just recently announced that they're going to be racing with the Valkyrie in, uh, the world endurance championship, which is pretty cool. So possibly lance moves over you know it's still within his dad's company he moves over to an endurance racer possibly lance just even retires and he doesn't want to race anymore at all um but what i think is actually the most likely and hear me out this is maybe a crazy crazy take but i honestly think before any of that happens if lance is no longer an f1 that means his father has sold the team that is actually what I think is it's going to take I really think it's actually more Lawrence's dream for Lance to be a world champion in F1 than it is Lance's I I honestly believe that so I think if Lawrence has finally you know whether it's delusion or or what I don't know if once Lawrence finally realizes you know his son's just not cut out for this, he will sell the team. That's that's honestly what I think it is. He is a businessman. He would make a ton of money. Like this investment has been a success for Lawrence Stroll, so there would be no shame in selling the team unless he really did see that there was like a ton more money to be made in the future, or if Lance could, <laughs> I guess start to improve even though it's been what seven years in F1 now like he's been around for a long time and he's kind of been the same driver as he was in like his rookie season so it's unprecedented to see a guy stick around this long and just never really be up to sniff I think I I don't know if Formula One's ever had someone like that um but yeah I honestly think selling the team is uh probably the most likely option Lance is going to be around for probably quite some time still um but yeah, uh, in terms of just Aston Martin's overall weekend, just taking Lance out of it, it was, I think, somewhat encouraging for them, I think they actually had decent pace this re- this weekend, but it is a bit strange to see Alonso having some scrappy moments recently, I would say, um, you know, Singapore was a nightmare, and then this weekend had a couple offs, um, so... Maybe he's getting frustrated, but also I think the car is probably just a lot harder to drive. You know, he was calling it a beautiful ride uh, back in Bahrain, and I don't hear him saying that anymore, so Aston Martin has some work to do over the winter for sure. So now, the results in the Grand Prix, they are as follows. Max Verstappen caps his championship weekend with a win in the feature race, his 14th of the season. P2 was Oscar Piastri, a weekend the rookie will surely remember for some time, then Lando Norris with a strong recovery to P3 in the race from P10 on the grid, mind you, to make it a double McLaren podium for the second straight weekend, and Talk about recovery. George Russell back to P4 after his lap one clash with Lewis Hamilton. George was on it this weekend. Charles Leclerc was a quiet P5, and I think the fact that George Russell finished ahead of Leclerc has to be a little bit discouraging for Ferrari because you should be finishing ahead of a guy that, uh, Got taken out on lap 1 and sent to the back. P6 was then Fernando Alonso. P7, Esteban Ocon, after overcoming his lap 15 sickness in the car. Pretty incredible. Uh, P8 was Valtteri Bottas, his best result of the season. Then followed by his teammate Joe Guan Yu in P9. Great job from Alfa Romeo. Then rounding out the points was Sergio Perez in P10. That makes the top 10 of the driver standing look like this. Max Verstappen on 433 points. The next driver is Sergio Perez on 224. Max is almost double his teammate in points now. Uh, then it's Lewis Hamilton. A massive missed opportunity for both Perez and Hamilton when they only scored you know, a couple points combined over the course of the entire weekend. If Lewis picked up a podium here, It was really, really on for P2 on the championship, but now he is still 30 points adrift. Fernando Alonso actually catches up to Lewis Hamilton again, only 11 points back from him. But unless Lewis continues to DNF, I'm not sure Fernando is going to be able to catch Lewis back up. Carlos Sainz didn't start the race because of a fuel systems issue, so he still sits at 153 points. Charles Leclerc closing up to his teammate on 1-45, 145 45 so only 8 points back. Then it's Lando Norris, who is at 136. He is, like, right in this mix now. It's pretty incredible. Um, he is 4 points ahead of George Russell, who is on 132. Then further back, it's Oscar Piastri on 83, so that's about a 50-point gap. And then it's another about 30, 40-point gap to Lance Stroll, who's on 47 points. Then Pierre Gasly rounds out the top 10 on 46 points then it's Esteban Ocon on 44. They're just really close so I wanted to mention them looking at the constructors 657 points for Red Bull on top then it's Mercedes with 326, Ferrari 298. So that is a 28 point gap between Mercedes and Ferrari. Then it's about 70 points back to Aston Martin who are only 11 points ahead of McLaren now. So next weekend McLaren could already have Aston Martin in their rearview mirror. Then it's way down in P6, Alpine on 90, and then another pretty big gap to Williams on 23. P8, though, Alpha Romeo, they jump ahead of Haas. They're on 16 points and another weekend like that, and they could actually jump back ahead of Williams. Haas is still on 12 points. They're not out of it, but the way they're looking in races right now, they're probably looking at a P9 finish, possibly even a P10 if Alfa who are in P10 right now, Have themselves a strong weekend. They're only on five points. Now let's look at the prize, demise, and surprise. All right, I got two options for my prize. I am going to go with Oscar Piastri. I do think this was um, just his best weekend in Formula One in terms of results and just. um, how close he was to Lando, it was a really, really incredible job. I think you could maybe argue Silverstone was the only other time that Piastri was like, he, he got robbed of a podium there, and he deserved more. He was incredibly quick there. Um, but I just think, I always try to think big picture with with these uh, prize demise and surprises. And, you know... Asserting your if he's going to assert himself within this team, which I think to be honest, he already has. I think McLaren knows that no know they have two special drivers. Um, but what Piastri did this weekend has just cemented that, and he's never for, going to forget his first race win, even though it was in a sprint, his first pole position, even though it was a sprint shootout. All of that he got this weekend, so he y- gotta. Tip your your cap to the rookie, sorry, um, and give him the prize here, I think. And the honorable mention is Alfa Romeo. I mean, how often is a team with one performance going to just probably wrap up a position in the constructors? So props to them. Great performance this weekend and brilliant strategy. I mean... Joe Yu made up 11 positions, 10 positions in the race. Yeah, I think 10. He was P19 technically because Paris started from the pit lane. So yeah, 10 positions in the race. Valtteri Bottas had a very uh, comfortable P8 finish, to be honest, because uh, they did a great job with his strategy as well, and his pace was strong. So honorable mention to them. Then the the demise is Mercedes. Uh, Their driver relationship not trending the right direction. They do appear to be okay, but... Yeah, massive missed opportunity for the constructors, for P2 in the Drivers' Championship. Um, Not a good look. The media is going to be all wondering about this driver relationship now. A lot of things went wrong here. Um, And of course, you know, crash damage is also not good news for them. So they get the demise. Then the surprise. I think I thought about this one, and I'm going to go with just the conditions. I did not expect Qatar to be... This bad, you know. Everyone talks about Singapore being the most challenging race. This was the most challenging race the drivers say they have ever had. Pretty much every single one of them said that. Um, Some of them didn't go as far to say that it was just borderline too much. Some of them had no problem saying that, but it wasn't just that. It was just a really hard race for them, just in general, taking the heat out of it as well. Like we had drivers like Lando Norris and Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, and qualifying. Um, They had some really, really scrappy moments. It was just a really, really tough go out there for the drivers. So I wasn't expecting it to be quite that bad. So yeah, I guess that is my surprise. So that will do it for episode 74 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back next week to preview another sprint weekend, this time in Austin, Texas for the U.S. Grand Prix. The Circuit of the Americas is my favorite track. And I know it's one of the favorites of a certain Alvatare driver. I'm looking forward to the expected return of Daniel Ricciardo. Let's hope I didn't just jinx it. Goodbye.